0: Chapter 19 Church From Reservoir of the Righteous to Collaborators with Christ And what then of the Church? Irenaeus, before darkness overtook the Christian understanding of God, referred to Christianity as the only true and life-giving faith. Perhaps that is a more accurate rendering of our own phrase, true and living, because it emphasizes what our faith is, if accurately articulated, is capable of doing. In an important sense, Scripture, including modern Scripture, refers to the Church in two distinct, equally important ways. We have the institutional Church, with its formal incorporation and programs and policies and buildings. Its role is essential and indispensable, both for channeling the powers of heaven through temple ordinances and for creating the optimum environment in which we may learn the hard task of indiscriminate love. In addition to this, Joseph's predecessors and contemporaries believe the church in the wilderness symbolized the reality of an invisible church, where righteous individuals, their spiritual gifts, and godly principles and practices persisted. It is striking that in Joseph Smith's revelations we find recurrent hints, intimations, and outright directives to remember that the institutional church is not the exhaustive repository of the chosen or the blessed. We would do well to think of the church with its temples and priesthood as a universal portal into the heavenly family, not as a reservoir of the righteous. While the institutional church has an important role in the Lord's eternal purposes, primarily the stewardship of the temple and its sealing ordinances, We might profitably keep this other version of his church in mind if this church like zion consists of the pure in heart then we need to be looking beyond traditional boundaries to encounter our fellow saints one of the clearest confirmations of joseph's understanding of a holy church in the wilderness came by revelation in may 1831 when the lord revealed that in the background independent of the Latter-day Saint restoration, God had reserved unto himself holy men about whom Joseph knew nothing. An 1829 revelation, a year before the restoration, also referred to Christ's church as already existing. And the Lord spoke words of comfort to its members, Whosoever belongeth to my church need not fear, for such shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Lord reassures those faithful that this part of my gospel, about to come forth, will be a boon to them. I do not bring this part of my gospel to destroy that which they have received, and again, I do not say this to destroy my church, but I say this to build up my church. Therefore, whosoever belongeth to my church need not fear, for such shall inherit the kingdom of heaven." To which church is God therefore referring, if the restored church had not yet been formed? The Book of Mormon refers to a church of the Lamb of God that apparently transcends any particular historical moment or incarnation. Nephi defines covenant identity as those who will have the Lord to be their God. In that ancient American record, covenant identity begins as a family grouping, and the Nephites were particularly concerned about the survival of their line. But by the time of Christ's coming, Nephites are a group defined by their faith, not their ancestry. Through numerous dislocations and places of settlement and promised lands, the Nephites learn that Zion is a portable, figurative tent in the wilderness. All these precedents comprise a prescient warning against the tendency to associate Zion with a particular place, people, nationality, or historical moment. B. H. Roberts saw and understood the radical significance of that 1829 revelation. From this, it very clearly appears that the purpose of God in the introduction of the dispensation of the fullness of times was not to destroy any truth that existed in the world, but to add to that truth, to increase it, and to draw together all truth and develop it into a beautiful system in which men may rest contented, knowing God and their relationship to him, knowing of the future and their relation to that future. Was this what Paul saw prophetically as the future day when God might gather together in one all things in Christ? That God may be all in all? We need to find new ways of balancing faith in the divine foundations and mission of the restored Church with a humility of language and self-conception, a generosity of vision appropriate to its destiny. Jacob Boehmer referred to this invisible Church as the Church without walls. Martin Luther King Jr., appealed to the tireless efforts of men and women willing to be co-workers with God. William Penn calls the Zion builders the humble, meek, merciful, just, pious and devout souls who are everywhere of one religion, and when death has taken off the mask, they will know one another, though the diverse liveries they wear here make them strangers. Elder Theodore M. Burton warned Latter-day Saints that we have a tendency to forget that we are part of a total community, that we are all members of one family, for God hath made of one blood all nations. As the gospel settles into an increasing number of cultural environments, the kingdom will continue to unfold as a beautiful tapestry of many threads, if we do not hinder its progress. Zion will continue to be found and to be built up in an array of settings. And like the wind that bloweth where it listeth, with its invisible comings and goings, the church of the Lamb of God will reach further than we can possibly know. As Julian of Norwich wrote, And then shall none of us be stirred up to say, Lord, if it had only been thus, it had been well. But we shall all say, with one voice, Lord, blessed must thou be, for it is thus, it is well. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation of All Things New, Rethinking Sin, Salvation, and Everything in Between by Fiona and Terrell Givens. Read for you by Fiona Givens. This program was produced by Kenny Hodges. Copyright 2020 by Fiona and Terrell Givens. Production copyright, Faith Matters Publishing. All rights reserved.